The following episode of Annals on Call is brought to you by Annals of Internal Medicine. For more episodes and links to CME and MOC, visit go.annals.org slash oncall. Above 10 milligrams a day probably doubles your risk of infection, but the low-dose therapy is where there's the controversy, and there's many, many patients with rheumatoid and other conditions who stay on low doses of glucocorticoids sometimes for years. Welcome to Annals on Call, a podcast based upon articles from the Annals of Internal Medicine in which we discuss the implications of the article for you, the listener. This is Dr. Bob Centaur. I'm Professor Emeritus at the University of Alabama at Birmingham and former chair of the Board of Regents for the American College of Physicians. Welcome to this episode of Annals on Call. In this episode, we discuss two articles risk for serious infection with low-dose glucocorticoids in patients with rheumatoid arthritis, a cohort study, and the accompanying editorial, Rethinking the Balance of Risks and Rewards of Chronic Low-Dose Glucocorticoids in Rheumatoid Arthritis. They both appeared in the Annals of Internal Medicine December 1st, 2020. Joining us is the first author of the first paper, Dr. Michael George, who's an assistant professor of rheumatology and epidemiology at the University of Pennsylvania. He sees patients in the Penn rheumatology practice and does clinical research with a focus on medication safety and infection risk with different immunosuppression. We hope you enjoy this episode. Michael, thank you so much for uh, joining us on this podcast. I found your article on the risk for serious infection with low-dose corticosteroids to be fascinating and important because of how often we use steroids for a lot of things. Maybe you could highlight the question you were trying to get at with this study and what previous studies had shown to lay the groundwork for our conversation. Well, you're exactly right. I mean, some of the main reason to be interested in this is because, as you said, glucocorticoids are very, very commonly used in many conditions. and, And we here focused on rheumatoid arthritis, where many patients are treated with glucocorticoids, and they're pretty well established as sort of short-term therapy. We know from previous studies that the infection risk and safety of glucocorticoids depends a lot on their dose and their duration, and previous studies have been quite convincing that higher doses of steroids, above 10 milligrams a day, probably doubles your risk of infection, but the low-dose therapy is where there's the controversy, and there's many, many patients with rheumatoid and other conditions who stay on low doses of glucocorticoids sometimes for years. And so we were interested in understanding the safety of that. Okay, so we have a great hypothesis. This is a very sophisticated study, and I'm going to see whether how well you can uh, explain it to me. Uh, and I'm, remember, I represent the audience, so you got to be, you got to really get this right because uh, I don't want to get confused. So uh, I know you used a couple of databases, and then maybe you could start with that, explain the databases, and then how you set up the study based upon the databases. Sure. Yeah. I mean, so the, I mean, I think the goal of these sorts of studies is that the sort of the background of it, the like what's under the surface might be complicated, but then the basic structure is simple. So, you know, we used two databases. We were interested in two different populations of patients. So we used um, administrative data using Medicare. So, you know, Medicare, as people know, 
covers older folks and also people who have disabilities, and that can include rheumatoid arthritis. But then to have a younger, healthier population, we also included administrative claims data from Optum Insight, which is a nationally representative, mostly commercial health insurance database, so tends to be younger, healthier people. And so in these two databases, we tried to structure the study to mimic sort of the, the main question we had in real practice. So we know that many people use glucocorticoids short-term, but what about the long-term use? So we essentially identified patients with rheumatoid arthritis who had been on stable treatment for their rheumatoid for at least six months. So these are folks that you know may use steroids early on, but by six months, they're not changing therapy. Things should be pretty stable. You know, the, the recommendations generally would be to try to come off of glucocorticoids by that time. And so we wanted to look at people who were on glucocorticoids still and people who would come off and then compare the risk of serious infection looking out from there. So the comparison is everybody was on steroids at one time. Some stop after that short course, some continue. Well, we did do that analysis in the study and the results were similar. But for our main analysis, we just looked at everyone who was on stable treatment with disease modifying drugs for six months and then split them up into four groups. People who were on no steroids at all, people who were on low dose, five milligrams or less per day, people on five to 10 milligrams per day, and people on more than 10 milligrams of, of prednisone equivalent per day. And if somebody had just had like a 10-day course of steroids, were they in the study or and assumed to be in the non-steroid group? We actually counted any steroid. You know, it's very, all this was based on prescription data. So sometimes it can be hard to know exactly how much someone took versus how much they were prescribed. So actually, if they received any steroids at all, um, then they were counted in the steroid group. So someone like that would be in the less than or equal to five milligram per day group. Okay, so then you did something called propensity analyses, and I love propensity analyses because it gets around the, the it's, it'd be impossible to do, to do this in a large enough randomized controlled trial. And uh, in previous podcasts, we've discussed propensity analysis, but why don't you sort of talk about how you match these groups? Because I think propensity analysis is a matching technique. Yeah, that's right. So you're right, the randomized trial for this study would require tens of thousands of people and is, is not very feasible. So um, yeah, I mean, I think of propensity scores can be used in a number of ways. And I, and I think of it as largely a way to achieve balance between groups. Um, so, you know, we look at how likely someone was to get steroids, what's the probability that they would get different doses of steroids, and then essentially use it to match the groups. We use inverse probability weighting, which is a similar technique, which basically weights some people higher than others, but creates balance across the characteristics in each group. I mean, the nice thing about it is that you can then look and see how well it works. So, you know, in our supplement, we have some very detailed figures that kind of show how well balanced the groups are after applying the inverse probability weighting. And, and we do, at least in the things that we can measure, we measured a number of things. There's always things in an observational study you can't measure, but in the things we measured, they look very, very similar. Okay, we'll get back to sensitivity analyses and subgroup analyses after we start discussing the results. But one of the things I always try to teach our residents is look carefully at table one and see who these patients are and are they the patients you're taking care of? So can you give us sort of the highlights from table one? Sure. Yeah. I mean, the highlights are that the two groups that we studied, the Medicare group and the Optum Insight group, were quite different from each other. So we're sort of capturing two different important populations. Um, the Medicare group 
you know, on average were above 65, as you'd expect. They tended to have a fair number of comorbidities. You know, roughly 40 to 50% of the patients in the study were, were treated with biologics, which is sort of what we see in, in practice. And the Optum Insight group tended to be younger, average age in their 50s with fewer comorbidities. So I, I think we, we sort of did capture two separate groups, both of which we see frequently in our clinic. And what about gender ratios and racial? So rheumatoid arthritis tends to affect women uh, more than men. So we did see as expected that there were more women than men in the study. And, and because these are sort of representative databases, they sort of reflect the general population. So you know, roughly 70% of the population um, was white. Let's get to the results because this is what's so fascinating. Yeah. So, I mean, this is obviously the exciting part for us also to do the study. So, you know, the key results uh, overall were that as expected, high doses of glucocorticoids, more than 10 milligrams per day, more than doubled the risk of infection. That, that was something that we knew from previous studies and, and that was replicated here. Uh, but the area that we were more interested in was the low dose groups. And the patients receiving less than or equal to five milligrams per day of glucocorticoids did have a significant, and, and in my mind, a, a clinically significant as well, increase in the risk of serious infections. And one of the things that was important to us was trying to quantify that risk. Because it's one thing to say there's an association, but we really wanted to quantify so that people could, could really understand what this means. And you know, we essentially saw, well, we saw a 30% increase in serious infection risk in both studies and what that translates to in sort of more absolute risks, which I think are a little more helpful for folks are, you know, for every hundred people treated with steroids, roughly two extra serious infections over the course of a year. Over the course of a year. So that's, that's actually a big number. Define serious infections. Yeah. So in this study, we define serious infections as an infection that occurred when you were in the hospital. So, so serious enough that you were in the hospital for the, for your infection. And this is like pneumonia, pilo. Uh, exactly. So yeah, pneumonia would probably be the, the top things. Some people with bacteremia, some people with urinary infections or pilo. Uh, that's right. Okay. So when you go down to subgroups, is there, uh, this is where we can start talking about sensitivity analyses and subgroup analyses. You pre-specified some subgroup analyses, and that's always a a very good thing in a study like this that you're not just going on uh, searching for needles in haystacks and looking for statistical uh, quirks, but you actually thought through this ahead of time, which I'm very, very pleased to, to read, read that ahead of time. Why don't you tell us about those? Because those are probably very important to us when we're taking care of patients. Right. There are a few, I mean, it was easy to pre-specify these because there's a few things that everyone's going to ask and that we were interested in. Um, one is, does it matter what your background therapy is? If you're on a biologic, is it riskier to be on glucocorticoids than if you're on more conventional therapies? And actually, we saw no difference in those groups. The risk was the same across those two groups. And then also, well, what about older, older people? Are they at higher risk with glucocorticoids than younger people? And again, actually the risks were essentially identical in younger and older patients. Although I should say, you know, we know that the older patients have a greater risk of infection overall. So a 30% increase in infection risk for them sort of translates to more infections. So it might be one to two extra serious infections for a hundred younger people treated and three to four 
uh, serious infections for 100 older people treated with low dose glucocorticoids. And uh, any gender differences or race differences, or were you able to look at that? You know, we didn't we didn't look at that, but I think that would be interesting to do. I, you know, it's funny that as many ways as we looked at this, we found very similar associations any way we sliced the data. So I imagine it would be similar, but we could definitely look at that. I don't remember seeing this in the paper. Was everybody on prednisone or were there a variety of steroids being used? So the three that we primarily looked at were prednisone, prednisolone, and methylprednisolone. And those are the three most common oral glucocorticoids um, used. And we didn't separate, separate it out. We did kind of adjust for the different potency of methylprednisolone, mm -hmm. but we didn't look separately. Prednisone was by far the most common used. Right. That just seems to be the easiest, uh, least expensive, uh, and we're all used to writing it. We yeah. sort of know what those doses are. And then I guess some people know the others, but they just, we just don't know it as well. Yeah, everything in the paper we sort of put in prednisone equivalents to make it easy. I, I like that, prednisone equivalents. So what is your take home from this study? And then I'm going to ask you one or two questions that the editorial might have raised and just get your thoughts about that. Mm -hmm. Sure. I mean, I think that the take home, the take home is not, oh, we shouldn't use glucocorticoids, the take-home is we should understand the risks. You know, with all treatments that we use, there's a balance of risks and a balance of benefits. And there are patients that get substantial benefit from these treatments, um, but we want physicians to be able to understand that there are risks involved. So if you're deciding between different treatment options, if you're explaining to patients the risks of one treatment option versus another, I think it's really important to have this information. There, there's been this perception that you know, five milligrams of prednisone is physiologic, so it may be just safe to use and no risks involved. And I, I think this and other studies have suggested that that's not the case. Since I don't do rheumatology, uh, I'll ask the question in this way. You're trying, you're trying to discuss DMARDs and biologics with the patient, and they're scared of them because they think that uh, they're worried about these side effects, that they'd rather be on a steroid because everybody wants to be on a steroid, apparently. It seems like all my friends talk about steroids all the time. But the, the difference in infection risk doesn't seem to be uh, significantly less when you're using the steroids than the DMARDs. And what I got out of this is that the thought about side effects is not a reason to prefer prednisone. Yeah, Bob, I, I think that's exactly right. And I actually do have this discussion uh, with patients sometimes. I mean, you know, it's understood. People often feel quite good on prednisone. And it can be hard to taper it. Um, and many people are comfortable since they've been on it, um, but and they don't want to start a medication that has a black box warning. You know, TNF inhibitors have a black box warning about serious infections. But the risk of serious infection with TNF inhibitors, at least from the meta-analyses of, of randomized trials, is actually about two per 100 person years. It's very, very similar to what we saw in the less than or equal to five milligram group here. So I think it's quite likely that the risk of being on five milligrams or five to 10 milligrams is, is at least as much as, being, as starting a, a biologic uh, therapy. And so that can be helpful in discussing with patients and trying to understand you know, it's very hard to discuss rare risks with folks. And this is one way to say, you know, this is probably as safe as the medicine that you're on right now, and maybe you would do better with it. So it's a way to sort of open up that conversation. Has, has that helped you in your, uh, in your conversations with patients? Oh, definitely. I mean, 
taking something that someone's already on and then, and saying, you know, your rheumatoid's not doing that well right now. I really think we should change your treatment. And I know you're worried about infection, but actually it's probably no more than what you're on right now. Or for people on higher doses, we'd actually, we might even reduce your infection risk if we were able to control your disease better and lower your prednisone dose. So let me finish with the most difficult question, and that is generalizability. This is a study of rheumatoid arthritis. You don't just take care of rheumatoid arthritis, you take care of lupus, and you take care of all these other things that you use steroids for. And they, they, they make the point in the editorial that it's not clear whether, whether we can generalize. Is, is there something about rheumatoid arthritis that makes you more uh, prone to serious infections than other indications for steroids? And might not be lupus, it might be people with asthma, people with COPD. What do you think about, how should we think about steroids in general from this very specific study uh, on rheumatoid arthritis? Yeah, it's an, it's an interesting question. I mean, I, I can't think of any particular reason why the side effects of steroids would be different in the rheumatoid population than in other populations. I mean, and in fact, you know, we know that rheumatoid arthritis disease activity is a risk factor for infection. So you might even think the opposite, that you're controlling the disease better with prednisone, it's lowering infection risk. and. So I can't think of a particular reason why it's different. I should say there are some data in other conditions like polymyalgia rheumatica that have also shown um, risk with glucocorticoids. It's hard to get big enough studies in some of these other areas or to control for other factors. So rheumatoid is sort of a good model to study this, I think. I would suspect that it's similar in other conditions, but of course, as you said, there aren't ways to know for sure. And I think other studies are gonna to need to look at this. Right. And I just thought of one other question, and, and that is short-course steroids. So the short-course steroid people were put into the five or less per day. Did, were you able to do an analysis just of the people who only had one short prescription? And the reason is uh, there are a lot of uh, urgent care centers and emergency departments that will give someone a short course of steroids for a sore throat, for example, which is driving me crazy. And I've thought that that could be dangerous. We don't know what the side effect is of even a short course. So do you have, we're able to get to that or is that something we have to work, look for, forward to in the future? Yeah, you know, we didn't look at that here. I, I was, there are a couple studies I'm aware of, one relatively recently that have looked at this. It's, it's hard to look at because people are also sometimes given short courses of steroids because of an infection. They might be given because they have pneumonia or this. So it's a hard thing to look at. But there have been suggestions in some previous studies of infection risk, even with short courses of steroids, as you say, but not something that we were able to look at here. Michael, this has just been very illuminating. I want to congratulate you and your co-authors for the study, because I think this is a really important thing, given the ubiquitous nature of steroid prescribing, that we ought to keep this in, in our minds about what the actual side effects are even at low doses. We can all recite the complications of high-dose steroids, but we seem to think that five is okay, and thank you for reminding us. It might be okay, but there is risk. Thanks so much, Bob. I, I couldn't agree more. It's time for Bob's Pearls. This rather straightforward study points out that there is a risk of serious infection, even with low-dose glucocorticoids, low-dose being five milligrams per day or less. This is important information for 
anyone who's taking care of patients and using steroids rather than a biologic that might actually have approximately the same risk of infection. The study uh, has excellent sensitivity analyses and uh, should influence our caution about the use of steroids and understanding this particular risk. For more episodes of Annals on Call and links to CME and MOC, visit go.annals.org slash on call. Participant statements on this podcast reflect the views of the participants and not necessarily those of the journal or the American College of Physicians, unless so identified. The information contained in the podcast should never be used as a substitute for clinical judgment.